all it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But first off, we start today's program with a new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, February 6th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Jake Chen and Shirley Lin. Hello. Up next, you would think that uh, getting a few extra days off school, even a few extra weeks, would be a kid's dream come true. But we'll be hearing why this extended school delay brought on by the coronavirus outbreak is causing anxiety among students. Then, they are sort of permanent enemies, farmers and these leopard cats that live here in Taiwan. But we'll be hearing today why some farmers are joining in work to save them. Then, why a documentary about Taiwanese immigrants to Argentina is getting a sequel, this time filmed in Taiwan. All that coming up next. Please stick around. All right, woohoo, extended vacation. You know, it's my dream if I was in middle school again, but middle schoolers in Taiwan are having a, a bit of a different reaction. Right. Um, I get the impression that uh, the students and parents are probably happy for two days and then all the sort of life's pragmatic challenges come into play. I think a couple of days ago we talked about the parents because they now have to reschedule a lot of things to, you know, some of them have to stay home and take care of the students right. who are now not going to school for another two weeks. Now, there's an actual reason for them to, I guess, to be anxious about it because um, on May 16th every year, there's going to be the Comprehensive Assessment Program, which is a fancy way of saying this is exam. You've got to pass to, uh, you know, uh, graduate uh, middle school. Oh. Right. So that date isn't going to change. Oh, they're uh, not pushing that back too? No. They're, no. Actually, they're not pushing anything except for graduation back. Well, and, why would they do that then? If they're pushing the date of graduation back, wouldn't right, they yeah. push everything back? Right? So your your ceremony, that's going to be delayed, but the exam that you're going to pass, oh because no, that's still going in May. You've missed two weeks of the class of, I guess, material that might be on that test, haven't you? Right. So conceivably, there could be stuff on there that you haven't gotten to yet. Technically, you're not missing two weeks of class when you consider that the end of the semester will be delayed as well but right. you are having two less weeks in preparation well, that's, that's what i said like, that's for sure you, they think that they would push that back as well right are they too far sunk in time and energy in, to in, change it at this point in their incredible foresight the education ministry said uh, no major uh, events including the exams and the, all the college entrance exams on the calendar will be moved despite the change so hmm. yeah go figure so yeah a lot of parents um i think it's mostly parents i think students <laughs> couldn't care less are you know are are hoping that schools will release you know preparation materials and you know things that they can help yeah. their kids prepare because they this is serious stuff right i mean you've got to pass this and i think i'm sure you can correct me if i'm wrong as a parent that the uh grades that you get from this factor into um so i think your choice is high school as well along right, with, yes i think it does unlike yeah. in some other parts of the world where your high school is determined by where you live in taiwan these things have consequences even oh, yeah. even at the middle school stage which high schools you can get into are determined by these things so. well i'm assuming that yeah you know, the education ministry will be making changes to exam itself to incorporate this you know, unexpected uh, situation where they're not moving the, the exam date. I hope they do. Um, I think they will make changes to it. I, I mean, the, the exam has always been 
um, how do I say it? inconsistent every year. <gasps> really, even in, in even terms the of names of the exams. In terms of how hard it is, changing. Um, uh, well, yeah, uh, and um, and then it you know, it's changed its name so many times. I'm so confused when you first trying to ask me what it was, Jake. In the yeah. beginning, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, I feel sorry for the Taiwanese kids really because there's always these changes that. This year is one thing, then it could be that next year or even like two years later, it's going to be something else. The curriculum does seem to change an awful lot. Yes. But right. beyond that, like, I wonder, it sort of begs the question, if all the exams are staying put where they were, right. where they were scheduled to be, what are they going to do for those two extra weeks in the summertime when they still have to go to school? Like, what, what, what do you do then? You're done all your exams. Like, well, you know, funny that you said that because um, actually when my kids were ready to go on to college, I think it was... Um, because usually their exams, um, you know, to, was it to college or to high school? In any case, it's the same. Um, you know, the exams would have been over a long, way before um, graduation, wow. uh, it, it, you know, time. Talk about a case of senior writers. So then, <laughs> yeah. like two or For three real. months, or even like more, you know, more than three months at a time, the kids have nothing to do. So because they if they already know what school they're going to go into. Yeah, that's, that's, there's. There's, a, you know, this loophole in the town's education That's system kind of here. It's really, it really is strange. I and think, yeah, I think in terms of the college entrance exam, because the ministry uh, schedules three different entrance exams around a year. So, like, if you didn't do too well in that first one before your semester ends, you can do the next one right. and, you know, get a better grade. Yeah. That you have more options. But this is one, this is the only one that determines, well, not the only one, but the only one that you it's do a major one. at yeah. the end just, of your semester. It's so. just a waste of a lot. I mean, you could do something more productive with it. I don't know. Two weeks may be a bit too short for, like, vocational training or something, but, like, but do you something can. besides just hanging around. Mm. Definitely. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, we're still, you know, a little ways ahead of the, the May uh, date. But it will be interesting to see how people react when we get closer to that. Yeah, I wonder if they'll fold and change their mind. That's one, you know, yeah, yeah. people oh, get really anxious. There's a possibility, anxious. I guess. Mm. Poultry farmers here in Taiwan are generally not big fans of the leopard cat. It looks a lot like a regular cat, actually. People sometimes mistake them for cats. They're little teeny tiny cute-looking things, but uh, for poultry farmers, they are a menace. Um, they often, you know, cause significant damage to flocks. And, uh, yeah, you would think that they would be very happy with the fact that, according to some estimates, there's only between 400 to 600 of them left in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. um, they are often hit by cars. That's probably another reason why the farmers don't like them, because they're endangered species and you can't hunt them. Right, right, right. You can't do anything uh, about it, but, like, right. they, you know, um, they, they do come and, you know, steal chickens and things like that. I've um, heard that. They're also, like I've said, victims of, of roadkill incidents, and uh, they're only really found in two small pockets, like in two counties of Taiwan. Nevertheless, uh, I've got an article here about how Taiwan's poultry farmers have decided that despite their losses, uh, they think it's important to keep these this species alive. This, it, it is endangered. Um, That's generous. Yeah, and so uh, a couple of them, uh, they have joined forces here to form sort of a patrol team here, it looks like in uh, Nantou County's Zhongliao Township, and they've actually got an, an award recently, uh, back in January, for helping to protect this as part of a national incentive program. The government's trying to, I guess, uh, soften the blow to them. Um, and this is because Nantou County, along with Miaoli County, like I said, are the only places where these are found at all in Taiwan. 
And so in addition to giving farmers cash incentives, I mean, and raising awareness, they're also trying to make roads safer and, of course, win over these poultry farmers. So what do the poultry farmers themselves have to say? Well, there's a little piece here where a farmer called uh, Wei Wen Jun says that uh, he's lost, he suspects, 70 chickens to one particular cat that keeps oh. showing up on his farm. Wow. And this is in just three months. Hmm. So you What an think, appetite. Yeah, yeah really. You have quite a bit of a grudge. Um, yeah. However, he says that, uh, and he also says the cash reward that the government's giving him is not enough to cover the loss of that many chickens. I bet. However, he says that he still supports the cause. I mean, imagine that. That's uh, What a guy. <laughs> another guy uh, who does chicken farming in the area, uh, his name is Tsai Qingguo. Actually, I'm sorry, he's not a chicken farmer, but he did have a pet goose who got taken, apparently, by no. one of these leopard cats. He'd had it for more than 10 years. <laughs> and he's heartbroken, but says he's still going to contribute to the cat's conservation. So um, you can. I guess, These are like walking examples of loving your enemy, in a sense, right? I guess though, if you're an animal lover, though, you kind of yeah. have to. It's hard to, you know what I mean? Take sides here, which yeah. is they need to eat too, and yeah, like is your is your poultry, your pet versus you know endangered species? I don't know. So um, I guess the the cash incentives, I guess, are doing their thing, and the road culverts and different uh, sort of roadside contraptions they're setting up to try and make it safer for them to cross are also helping but uh i guess when it comes down to it it's the the poultry farmers themselves that are going to have to you know help make a big difference i have interviewed uh a conservation association that works with for these cats though and they said that they're actually teaching farmers to build more secure shelters so that there's less of this conflict okay so that okay. they're at least their poultry is safe and we can all sort of live together um i hope they're getting stipends for building these safer i think <laughs> fences they might stuff. be i don't know but uh i think uh, they're trying to make it so that we can all sort of live alongside one another when you know ease that sort of tension I was really interested to see this article because actually uh, it talks about a, a wave of immigration from Taiwan to Argentina. And I, I think I know some of our listeners also tune into our Spanish service. A number of our colleagues in that service, I think, are among this group of people. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so an Argentine filmmaker by the name of Marcos Rodriguez uh, in, back in 2016 actually made a documentary about uh, these Taiwanese arrivals in Argentina and their lives in Buenos Aires. And uh, now he's planning to shoot a sequel because what happened was uh, for, for a time, uh, there was a large Taiwanese community in Buenos Aires in what became known as the town's Chinatown. And it brought a lot of Taiwanese culture with it during the 1980s when a lot of these people uh, went and uh, since then, I think probably a combination of things happened. One, Taiwan was under military rule, at martial law at the time. And at the end of the decade, that eased up and we, we turned democratic and Taiwan became a lot wealthier. Also, it says that the 2001 financial crisis in Argentina caused a lot of people to come back. Right. And um, so Rodriguez made this first sort of documentary about life there in the heyday of this community. And it's, it is kind of apparently a... The place where they settled is sort of uh, stuck in time. It feels like a flashback to the 1980s, apparently. Mm. I'm not sure what that means, if everyone's in like day, day glow colors or has enormous hair. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but apparently the neighborhood is still has some of the, the charm that it developed during that period. But now, though, he's curious about like what happened when everyone, a lot of people left and returned to Taiwan. Right. And what what... I guess did they take back with them from their time in Argentina and what you know where do they all end up it's sort of a where are they now type of a story so he's planning a sequel 
And he wants to do it with the Ministry of Culture, actually. They're reviewing the storyboard and considering whether it qualifies for an international co-production grant. And so, uh, yeah, he says he uh, wants to know what happened to them, and he hopes to come back to Taiwan to give a full picture, it says here, of the rich and varied experiences of Taiwanese immigrants. And it says, actually, his interest in this subject came because of his admiration for a few famous Taiwanese directors, actually, specifically Hou Xiaoxian, who I think has won many awards. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And a Taipei-based filmmaker by the name of Tai Mingliang. Yeah. And yeah, he's, yeah. They're, they're both, yeah. Very well recognized. Renowned. So that sort of inspired his curiosity in Taiwan, and he looked around him, and there was a Taiwanese. I'm sure there are still some people there who have stayed. and uh, But it's very interesting. I mean, we work every day with them. Actually, it's made I, me interested in their story, too. Yeah, like yeah. I think we should. nice to see how they made that transition to coming back. Right. Yeah. Uh, suggest to Rodriguez to come and interview our a Spanish service. We have here. a few interesting. It's not just them either. Um, I know we have a, a manager here who's spent time in Paraguay as well. Uh -huh. So there's Taiwanese yeah. A lot of parts of Latin yeah. America. You know, I didn't know about that part of you know the Taiwanese immigrants to um, Argentina mm. history until I met our you know our Spanish service. I had no idea how and big that that was either until I, I met them. Yeah, they're, and they're very. This is amazing. Some of them, I think, may have been born there. They're fluent yep. in Spanish. Oh, of course, they work for a Spanish very service. And they speak so local, like the local Spanish. Very yes, and, you know, and, uh, very uh, strong Argentine their, accents. Their, their, yeah, the culture and their you know the habits and everything. It's just really interesting. It's really neat. And uh, actually, one of them actually recently took some of our uh, managers there on a trip to Argentina to visit our listeners there. I think so. Oh yeah. So that's, that's really it's really cool. I'd like to find out more about that. Maybe a future episode of Curious John. <laughs> Well, it looks like coronavirus has uh, struck again, or at least fears about it. Uh, universities here in Taiwan are telling students to evacuate the dorms. What are they, where are they going to go? <laughs> yeah, and these are the questions, unfortunately, that a lot of students in these dorms have for the universities. And unfortunately, those in charge have not been responding uh, well. Some of them actually have not been responded at all. Uh, the, universe, the students at the uh, National Taipei University of Technology and of the uh, Changgung University of Technology, this one is based in the northern city of Taoyuan, uh, both reported that um, so on the 4th, which is a Monday, and uh, on the 5th, which is a Tuesday, um, these universities told them to uh, evacuate one of the dorms. Um, wow. Well, wait, just one of them, though? Just one of them. So this is a rather, I guess, peculiar choice, yeah. or maybe not. The Taipei University uh, asked the students who, uh, those who live in that specific dorm are those who stay over the winter vacation to work locally, so they don't return home and they work here. And the one oh. in Taoyuan uh, sort of uh, pinned down on the dorm, which houses uh, Hong Kong and Chinese students. Hmm. So um, I'm not sure what the motivation is. I hope no. it's not out of you know xenophobic fears. Has but any of them? Is it one of those things where if you've been home in the last 14 days, because there is a quarantine in place for that right now? Right, and the students have responded on uh, many university uh, forums saying that they have been self-quarantined. Many of them more than 14 days. So, and the idea is they were told, like I said, a number of days ago, and they all need to leave by Saturday. So, in, in a few days. And the well, students said, they, gonna go? they have no so, places to go. And if they were sick, mm -hmm. let's say, that would be a tell them to leave. really bad idea. So then they're out in public and then making everyone else sick. Right. So the idea of just asking the students to leave to, hmm. to, to uh, you know, um, I think one of them said, one of the universities said to sanitize the dorm isn't really a, 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 the ideal option at this point. Oh, I think uh, every dorm needs to be sanitized. 
so, yeah. kind of petri dishes. I got mono real bad in college, <laughs> right. so I think I can understand you might want to like disinfect them over the break. Right, but but it should be all the dormed and instead of and you know just yeah. one of them doesn't seem very helpful. Right, especially if they haven't been back in that period, critical period. I think yeah, identify who's been traveling and then maybe take individual cases. So mm. yeah, this is the sort of the latest latest fiasco among university and schools delays and, and different measures. Uh, as we stand right now, uh, both universities officially have not responded to students' question yet. They basically oh, said, "That's confusing. You got to yeah. move." When and, you're so and vague just, about this, you and, know? and kind of disrespectful for the students, right? I mean, if they ask questions, you've had to respond. Once right. the windows is this small, so it's kind of abrupt, isn't it? Yeah, maybe not, not exactly the best. Maybe measure. the authorities still. Uh, I mean, the management is like really confused themselves too, and they're thinking they want to put in some good measurement uh, measures, but then. If they're so vague about it, not explaining to the students, you know, it's just gonna make it a lot more chaotic as it is. Right. Um, my son is in his senior year and he's staying at dorms, and I haven't heard about this. So uh, at least he he's not at one of the two universities you just mentioned. That's but um, sounds good. I I I mean, <laughs> this is sort of like a side point, but. Boys' storms usually are not as clean as the girls' storms. Like I said, uh, this a I could agree. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd be the first one to agree. I've been there. Yeah. So, um, oh gosh. Anyway, well, I'm sure it's all for you know for the sake of sanitation. But if they can think of a better way to doing that without insulting anybody, hmm. right? Yeah, like targeting specific groups is not the right way to go. Right, especially if they've been in Taiwan this whole time, then they're yeah. just as likely as anyone else to be sick. Yeah, so, right. I think, uh, well, as of brought, the time we're recording this, there are only eleven cases. All yes. of them are sort of Confirm- accounted yeah. for and yeah, quarantined. So I feel like maybe a bit of an overreaction. Well, fortunately, I mean, uh, like I've we said in some other programs recently, uh, we've we've been taking it very seriously here at RTI. Even though I think the risk is relatively low, they've been measuring everyone's temperature when you come in the buildings. Mm-hmm. They've made uh, rubbing alcohol available, which is now impossible to get. <laughs> so I we're know. very grateful for that. Yeah, even giving us other supplies too, like cotton swabs to yes. wipe down stuff with. And oh, also yeah, I saw our that. own. Um, what do they call those? The foams. On, oh, the on microphone the covers. Yes. The mi- microphone covers. We have our personal mic. That's the first time we've ever had that before. So yeah. they're being very considerate. <laughs> I've, I've actually etched a, uh, um, uh, uh, um, what do you call it? A, a heart. A heart. Oh. <laughs> on, on the one I've got. She'll the one with the heart on so it. Just so that everybody knows that that's mine. There's no confusion there. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I haven't even tried getting um, any of those uh, surgical masks myself because They're, the news is going around that there's, you can't get it anywhere. Week. There's only two available a week per person, I think, now. So then I've resorted to uh, one of those ones made of cloth. Uh, it's not very effective. But, I you know. know, but at least it, I don't know, it makes other people around me feel better, maybe? Yeah, Yeah. people re- get really nervous. I remember the first day I came back uh, to Taipei from Canada, by the way. Uh, I was the only one of two people in the entire train car not wearing a face mask. It's a, yeah, everyone has one. Now. It's really yeah. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're not. They're refusing flights from Taiwan in some places, and I'm yeah. kind of nervous because I have some travel plans coming up. I'm oh, like, no. oh, come on, everything needs to go yeah. just the way I planned it. Please, please, please. All right. Well, that does it for today's ed- edition of Here in Taiwan. Enough worrying on our part. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Jake Chen. And I'm Shirley Lin. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. <laughs>
Lights, Camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome back to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. We、uh, wrapped up a rather lengthy miniseries on Asia's gangster films in the last couple of weeks. In fact, when we looked at the movies that we've covered so far, we can say that they're all about people in rather unusual circumstances. These are some examples. The Departures is about a young man who accidentally became a mortician who dealt with dead bodies. In the mood of love is about a man and a woman who fall in love with each other while their respective partners are having an affair behind their back. Twilight Samurai tells the story of a low-ranked samurai who struggles with life, the orders of his clan, while trying to grasping on that one last hope of love with a woman who is near and dear to him. All these films tell beautiful stories that tug at our heartstrings, but one thing we do need to realize is that we are very unlikely to encounter these people or their circumstances. The common thread that connects us, the common folks, is just that: commonality. The vast majority of us live mundane lives, have unexciting jobs, and spend our spare time on activities that are hardly earth-shattering. And that is why the majority of the film that gets remembered, that gets people's attention, are ones that are about characters in unusual circumstances. Because we, as common folks, as the viewers and the audience, we need to see people in unusual circumstances to get that sense of excitement. That is so lacking in our own lives. Now, when I said that most of us are common folks, this is not a knock on anyone because most of us include myself. Now, one thing we do need to realize is that a common life and the stories that's in it is pretty difficult to be adopted into movies. It is certainly difficult to be adopted into a movie that is exciting. If I were to ask a random stranger on the street. What was the most exciting thing that happened in your life in the past week? The answer is likely going to the grocery store or visiting one's parents or friends. But film as an art form is as varied as any other art forms that we've come to know, and many filmmakers have risen to the challenge to create films that tell stories of everyday people. Stories about their mundane lives, including the many, many small triumphs and struggles. In fact, I'd argue that films about the regular lives are, at least in my opinion, the best prism through which to project the reality of a certain culture that the inhabitants of such culture face every day. It is easy, for instance, to connect the country of Japan with samurai movies and quirky animes. But everyday Japanese don't live their life in such a fictional world. It is easy to connect China to martial arts and paintbrush calligraphy, but most ordinary Chinese citizens don't live in that world neither. So to understand the lives of people in Asia, we probably should shift our attention and look at a different kind of movie. 
the kind that brings us much closer to what they actually do day in and day out. The kind of movie that shows the emotions that people experience as they go about their day. And to explore this new theme, we are going to start a new mini-series and look at a new series of movies. Our first stop is Japan, and the first movie that we'll be looking at is called Tokyo Story. It is almost impossible to overstate just how important Tokyo Story is. It is one of the most highly regarded films to have ever come out of Japan, and on the world stage, it stands hand-in-hand hand with timeless classics such as The Seven Samurai and Yojimbo as the films that are almost synonymous with Japanese cinema. They don't just tell Japanese stories. Their aesthetics and style are vastly different from that of Western films. So when they burst onto the scene, the cinema world really wasn't quite ready. Tokyo Story was as praised as it was misunderstood during its initial release in 1953. But in the ensuing years and decades, the film has gained a massive critical acclaim and at this point is almost universally recognized as one of the most important films in the 20th century. So you must be wondering, a film about regular folks in Japan, how does that become a classic? Now, with that question in mind, let's dive right into the world of Tokyo Story. The film doesn't open in Tokyo, but instead in Onomichi, a rural township in southern Japan. At the beginning of the film, we see an elderly couple. They are Shukichi and Tomi Hirayama, and they sit in their lobby and they talk to their daughter and neighbor about traveling to Tokyo to see their two children who live in the metropolitan. Like any old couple, the two chat about what they need to bring, what they need to leave behind, and then they got on their way. The first stop for the Hirayamas is at the house of their oldest son, Kiyochi, who now is a working pediatrician in Tokyo. The son and his wife greet the elderly parents with a very Japanese greeting. They bow and they welcome into the door. And the two couples exchange regards and then the two wives proceed to prepare dinner. After the post-dinner chat, the elderly Hirayama couple retreats into their bedroom and have a short talk. The conversation doesn't really touch on anything substantial. The two just talk about the long travel to Tokyo, about how that have really drained their energy, about how their oldest son is doing, and the film then fades into the next dawn. Now the next scene takes place at the home of Shige, the couple's daughter. Shige owns a hair salon in a different part in Tokyo, and she is expecting her parents to visit her in their second stop. In preparation for the elderly's visit, Shige's husband asks her whether he needs to do anything special to take a day off, or whether he needs to make time to take him out to watch a show. Shige, while eating her lunch and haphazardly talking to her husband, said in a very nonchalant manner, no to all those proposals. She simply said that there's no need to worry about them and that they'll know what to do when they get here. 
So one day Hirayama is do come to visit their daughter Shige. She doesn't spend much time with them. The two elderly are left alone with their grandchildren, and later on, Shige sends them to a local hot spring that she paid for. This is sort of her treat for her parents coming in. However, this trip to the hot spring didn't really go so well because the two elderly are really advanced in age, and their physical conditions don't allow them to handle the heat of the hot spring. So they have to return to their daughter's place early. But their discomfort really doesn't end there, as Shige has arranged to use the room that were meant to her parents to stay for a business meeting. So knowing that the two elderly have to find another place to spend the night, left with no choice, Tomi and Shukichi Hirayama had to split up. Shukichi, the grandfather, goes out to seek out a few old friends that he still has in Tokyo. And they spend the night out at a bar, a very typical Japanese activity among men when they don't return to their homes. Tomi, the grandmother, gets in touch with Noriko, their daughter-in-law. It is at this point in the movie that we begin to see how the two elderly reflect on their current situation. They've traveled all the way from the edge of Japan to the central metropolitan that is Tokyo. And over the few days that they've spent with their children, they've grown quite distant from them, and this is a fact that both elderly have begun to realize. From the outside, both their son and daughter are quite accomplished. One is a working pediatrician at a hospital, and the other one owns a hair salon. However, neither one of them have given them much time, nor did they give them much of their full attention or energy. During the two days that they've spent in Tokyo so far, the two elderly often find themselves alone in the house or trapped with their grandchildren, and the grandchildren don't spare them much time and attention either. So at this point, the two elderly find themselves rather out of place. So Shikuchi, the grandfather, is spending the night out with his old pals, and they drink at the bar, chat with the hostess. Well, they ponder their current situation. Shikuchi soon finds out that most of his elderly friends face the same situation and challenges that he does. A lot of their children are working and are doing rather well. However, many of them have grown increasingly distant from them, and the connection is gradually lost. On the other hand, we look at Tomi, the grandmother. She found Noriko, who graciously accepted her to spend the night with. Noriko had married one of their other sons, who went missing in action in World War II and was presumed dead a long time ago. Although she is not directly related to Tomi, her mother-in-law, Noriko welcomed her with much warmth and care. She makes bed for her and decides to stay by her side because she is clearly advanced in age and not. In a very good health condition. It is over this night and the conversation that they have before they go to bed that Noriko and Tomi develop this bond. The two share their experiences in life, and Tomi expresses to Noriko her concerns and her worries about their children, whereas Noriko expresses her longing for her long-gone husband. At one point. Tomi even tries to convince Noriko to remarry, 
and、uh, she will have her full blessing while doing so. Noriko gently refuses her advice, and decides to keep on facing life on her own. We'll hit pause here, and then we'll continue the plot of Tokyo Story in next week's episode. I hope you can all begin to realize that although the story is rather common and mundane, we are beginning to see the emotions that the various characters experience in this universe. Thank you for listening to Lights Camera Asia. I'm Jake Chen, and I'll talk to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Alan Chen is from Hong Kong, and he's the founder of OmniChat, which is a messaging platform for e-commerce customer services and marketing automation. That means that his company would then be able to monitor user behavior and let the customers install messaging services on their websites so that they can talk directly to the merchants. Hong Kong's e-commerce is not as popular and mature as Taiwan, and that is why Alan has stationed twelve of his sixteen employees in Taiwan, and that's why he travels to Taiwan once every month. Taiwanese online shoppers mostly like to buy clothes and makeup online. Um, according to his survey, his first startup online business, though, was selling mobile phone cases, but that failed because Hong Kong people like to change their mobile phones very, very often, and he he would end up with a glut of mobile phone covers. Alan said Hong Kong people can change their mobile phones once or even like twice every month. Can you believe that? Anyway, we're going to start today with talking about Alan's second startup. So my second stop is、uh, actually I I'm doing the mo、uh, the mobile apps, yeah the mobile, mobile apps yeah the mobile apps is used、uh, for people to sharing some kind of their lovely toys, yeah oh yeah online、okay. it's some kind of like Instagram for toys only. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you think of this? Yeah, because um、uh, I have a group of friends. They love to、uh, the, collect toys. Yeah, to collect toys, and then uh they but they、uh, maybe they share on Facebook. Um at 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 that year is Facebook. Yeah, most likely. But because their friend is not the toy lover, so no one responds to them. And、mm. then oh,、uh, I got an idea is that oh I I think this kind of niche market uh still have some kind of market there.、Uh-huh. So I write an app, and then uh to uh. Give to this kind of people, and then let them to share the toys online.、Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um. We're talking about secondhand toys. Do,、mm. I mean, do they exchange them or just? What do you mean by sharing? Yeah.、Uh, at the beginning, I just、uh, want them to just share on、uh, on our on my app only. Oh,、yeah. to just kind of like talk about yeah, their toy. No, yeah, there's no business model there at the、uh-huh. beginning. Yeah, because after some time, I、uh, as for me,、uh, it's a two C app. So I want to collect the user first, and then after we collect、uh, enough of user, I will I will pinch to have、uh, let them to exchange, and then I can collect the money in the middle. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What happened to that? 
Yeah, but um, but actually, uh, it is not doing quite well. Yeah, because uh, I at the P, uh, I mean the user, the user growth is not uh as as much as uh as many as, as I thought. You thought, yeah. And we talk about adults, right? Yeah, you know, exchanging toys or yeah. sharing toys. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, but I do, I do have some kind of uh like the incentive from uh to my uh, current business because I am the first the first business I. I am selling something online, right? So I collect a lot of the email every day. Uh-huh. Yeah, I need to reply them, but it's too slow. After I reply them, they already um maybe because they can they want to buy something online, right? Yeah. So if I they rep- want it fast, yeah, they want it fast. After that, uh, otherwise they just go around and then shop in uh-huh. another store. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's and and also in the toy toy exchange. Uh, I mean the toy sharing is also because uh I. If they 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 had they love to uh communicate each with each other. They just yeah. uh they they reply me that oh I I share some kind of toys on on your app. Yeah, if I can have a function that I can communicate with uh the interest people and then that that would be good. Yeah, that that's come to my uh current business that I uh I can let I can I if I can have a check uh put it on your website and to let you to communicate with your customers. Yeah, it will increase yeah your engagement and also uh-huh. the conversion rate. Oh. Yeah, let's come up with this idea. Oh, interesting. Now, I I'm I suppose when adults when they collect toys, yeah, they're not like Barbie dolls or you know a, a stuffed animal. Yeah, they're probably toys from around the world, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Not that I anything any interesting toy to share on this platform but i would be very curious and interested to learn about what other people are collecting what kind of toys they're collecting mm. from around the world yeah yeah i i would be someone who would enjoy that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but i probably should get a toy myself first to share with everybody very interesting ideas that you have yeah. you know it seems like you still have a very childlike heart in you, you know, even you're already a father of two kids. You oh know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, um, anyway, so OmniChat sounds like it's a, it's it's really good. Um, what do you think about Taiwan? I mean, mm. you've been here. Mm. Uh, wait, since you started your business, which was 2017. 17. Right? But uh, I entered Taiwan is uh, 2018. Oh, okay, so maybe a year to two years that you've uh, yeah. been traveling to Taiwan. Yeah. So you you getting to know Taiwan a lot. Yeah. So what do you think about Taiwan? What do you I, think about how how about first? What is it like working with Taiwanese people? Oh, oh, Taiwan people actually they are really hardworking. Yeah, mm. and then uh because uh. Uh, I'm an engineering background, right? Uh-huh. So, but in Hong Kong, um, a lot of them, uh, they they don't have uh, uh, for young for young people uh, after they graduate, they don't have the um, I mean the uh, objective oh. uh, on their life or maybe career life. Uh-huh. Yeah. What does Taiwanese do? Yeah, the Taiwanese the, young people. Yeah, do? but the Taiwanese ch- young people they have a really good objective and then on their career. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Why do you think there's this, this difference? Yeah, because uh, I interview them, and then when I talk about okay, uh, what is your uh, objective in the f- uh, next five years, they can clearly uh, describe it. Right? right. Yeah. But why do you think there's that difference between Taiwanese people and Hong Kong people? Oh yeah, because uh, it it is something like that. Uh, like yeah, I interview some kind of uh, first graduate people in Hong Kong, yeah. and for the youngest, and then maybe they they don't really think of uh, how is my life. Uh, 
They don't uh, think that much. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, gosh, it sounds awful. But yeah, uh, yeah. why is that though? Maybe uh, due to their education. Yeah. What does that mean? So, like in Hong Kong, um, they just teach them a, a an old school things. Yeah. Uh-huh. For for the programming side or whatever. Yeah. That's that's why they uh didn't know uh, that uh, after they graduate. Oh, what kind of the real world? Uh, what it it is about. Yeah, yeah. That's why you know I've been back here twenty nine years, and I yeah. really uh, encourage Taiwanese people to travel abroad more, yeah. to see more of the world. You mm. know, and good for you. Even though you said you've never lived anywhere else except Hong Kong. Yeah. But um, but your business is making you travel, get out of Hong Kong, and see Taiwan at least. Yeah. Where else have you traveled besides Taiwan? Then, I've been to use uh, United States. Oh, you've been to the States. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for leisure. It was uh, vacation or uh, business? It's, it's for it's for vacation only. It was vacation, yeah. right? Okay, and anywhere else? And London. London. Yeah. Also for vacation. Yeah, for, for vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. But um, especially for Taiwanese people, mm. I think in the beginning when I first came back, um, I got the feeling that Taiwanese people think that they're proud of themselves. Yeah. And I think there are things that we should be proud of. Mm. But um, and we think that we're good. Yeah. But I'm saying that well, yes, we are good, but mm. we can be better if you were to get out there and see more of the world. Yeah. Because the world is not just limited to this small island, and yeah. we are such a small country in this you know big world. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hong Kong's even smaller. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Uh, anything else that you feel about Taiwan? Oh, I think uh, if for traveling and around Taiwan, is the uh, I feel really as uh, cool about the light and what because you know Hong Kong is really crowded. Yes, yeah, uh, crowded. You know, ev- ev- yeah, you go everywhere and then you see a lot of people and then you have you don't have the mood to travel. Yeah, especially oh, in the coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially in the recent few years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that but is true. Uh-huh. In, yeah, but in in Taiwan actually, uh, it has a lot of uh other space, and then it feels good for me, and I feel really comfortable to stay here, <laughs> other than Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Who knows? Maybe this will be eventually your home. Sometime <laughs> down the road. Yeah. Maybe. But um um yeah, I I know in Hong Kong. All the high rises are very, very high. Mm. You know, everything grows upwards. Yes, exactly. yeah. There's a little space. Yeah, and you're and 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 it's so convenient mm. in a sense that all you have to do is just go downstairs for shopping and grocery, and everything yeah. is downstairs, and you go back up to your apartment. Yeah, yeah. Right? And actually, in Hong Kong, in recent years, uh, light, uh, they they just I mean, uh, if you go shopping, right? So you can only buy some kind of standard goods. Yeah, you mm. don't have uh, uh, some kind of like the uh, cultural things. No, no, this kind of shop. All the, all the uh, small shop is already closed. Oh. Yeah. But, oh, in, okay. but in Taiwan, actually, we still have some kind of like the young people. They can, oh, and, and have a small shop and then uh, to sell some kind of uh, the uh, the cultural things. Yeah, and it is other than that's the kind right. of the public thing. Or even like sell their own on their own creative handmade, yeah, handmade exactly, stuff. Exactly, exactly. And there's always, we always encourage them to have space for them to exhibit, mm. you know, the, their creations and their inventions and everything. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's all good, but I think uh, Taiwanese people have to learn how to brand themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's something that's, well, maybe it's 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 getting up there. But, yeah. um, you know, because they're, 
you you discover that a lot of young people are actually mm. doing the same kind of things, and mm. they should be grouped together mm. and try to promote themselves together. Oh, but yeah. they're all too spread out. Mm. That's what I've discovered. I don't okay. know if I'm wrong or, or right or wrong about this, but <laughs> yeah. But anyway, oh wow. So, um, anything else that you like about Taiwan? Uh, the food. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna get to that. Yeah, yeah. Any kind of food, or you, is there a favorite cuisine that you have? Uh, because uh, express so night market. Night market. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but you know what? In Hong Kong, they used to have not anymore. Da pai dang. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, now, yeah, uh, yeah, but not anymore, right? Not anymore in Hong Kong. I right know now. Yeah. it's been a long time that yeah. they've all gone from the streets. Yeah, but I used to just like eat out there. There'll be all kinds of seafood. They, they all come in little plates and little bowls. Yeah, and you just sit out in the in the open and just. You know, that's that's the Hong Kong style of night market. Yeah, exactly. But no more of that. Yeah. yeah um, What's that? Yeah, and, and when, I, when I'm when i young, yeah, still a lot of this kind of Thai Python and love to go there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but in recent mm. years, uh, um, a lot of them close. Yeah. Well, mm. I can understand. Mm. I can't think they want, the government wants to keep it clean and, mm. you know, yeah. organized, you know, because... Hong Kong is such an international hub. Yeah. And they want to show a, a good, you know, image of Hong Kong. But sometimes I think it's You just, need some to have some local yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, to and show then the people. tourists they love yeah. to go this kind of thing. I know. I yeah. Oh well. Anyway, maybe I'll make a comeback someday in the future. <laughs> That would be great. Maybe that's a job for you. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I can carry you along. <laughs> no, I think I asked you earlier on, I mean, what do you do when you come to Taiwan? You say you come like at least once a month. Yeah. So what do you do when you come here? You look for more suppliers, merchants? Oh, yeah. Uh, we look for like kind of a partnership, exactly. Partnership. Yeah, partnership. yeah because in our business, uh, we partner, uh, we, we provide our uh, product uh, on the e-commerce website, right? So we partner with some kind of e-commerce platform. Uh-huh. Yeah, in Taiwan, yeah, we partner with Naiwen app, another one called Waka. Yeah, uh-huh. it is also a kind of the e-commerce building platform. Uh, they provide uh, their product to help the merchant to build a w- e-commerce website. I see. Yeah, and let them sell goods there. Wow. Yeah. So no wonder you come once every month because it's, just, it's a never-ending list, right? Uh, we have so many of these kind of platforms here in Taiwan. Yeah, of course. Uh, another another thing is because we have uh, 12 people here, right? So yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, come, right. yeah. To communicate with them. You need to check yeah. on them. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> okay. They're good, they're good. <laughs> All right. So has this helped you improve your Mandarin Chinese? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I remember okay. at the beginning, uh, come to Taiwan, uh, 2018, my Mandarin is not not too good actually, uh-huh. but I st- uh, at least uh, I can hear a lot, and then I can and when I talk, and then a lot of them always understand what what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. right. I think um, maybe you know for the Hong Kong people to improve their Mandarin Chinese is the same as for Taiwanese people to improve their English. Oh, Don't yeah. you think so? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Taiwanese people are just too shy to speak, you know, English. I don't mm. know. They're so afraid of making mistakes. Oh, I see. So, yeah. yeah see, you see that problem? Okay, yeah. so, you know, maybe later on when you go to appointments, yeah. throw in some English. Test their English. <laughs> <laughs> Give them practice. Yeah, okay. 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 Well, thank you so much, Alan. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Thank and you. Um, good luck with everything you're doing. I'm so glad you you're seeing Taiwan as a big market for your business. Hopefully, there will be a lot more partnership and a cooperation in the future Thank for you. you. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. Thank, Thank you. you. 
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.